face it, girls. I'm older and I have more insurance. Boom. You're done. You are done. I want us to get like a a clapper, like how they use in the films, in the film industry. Three mark, one, two, <laughs> whatever it is they say. Uh, scene two, set, scene, I don't know. Roll sound, roll speed. Sound speed. <laughs> Clearly we are professionals. Um, welcome back to Movies That Raised Us. Hello, hello, hello. Um, I'm Christina. In case you haven't listened from the very first episode and don't know who's who, I'm Christina. I'm Mariah. I feel like we do this once every 10 episodes. We're like, oh, wait, I don't know if you know who's who. Yes, um, that's who we are. And uh, this is is the show. Welcome back. We are very excited. (laughs) This This is is the show. show. We are uh, we're super excited to to cover our next Pride Month flick. Yes, I don't know. Should I just go right into it? Yeah, why not? We are doing the 1991 movie Fried Green Tomatoes. Yes, this was a a first time watch for you, correct? Absolutely, yes, it was. I was shocked by like how this movie did in the box office because like I've never heard of it like no one's ever talked about it with me besides you like I literally didn't know it existed um I really liked it oh good I'm glad yeah I personally had only ever seen it once before I watched it with my grandmother I think when I was like I think I was like 19 because I was living with my grandparents for a summer Mm -hmm. um in between freshman and sophomore year my grandmother was like oh I love this movie it's like one of my favorite movies of all time like we have to watch it I do wonder though if she was just like oh it's just you know two gal pals just two friends right right. (laughs) being besties Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I don't know but yeah she really she really loves this movie I really enjoyed it the one time that I watched it there was certainly a lot that I like understand a lot better now that I'm not uh, a 19 year old watching this movie with my grandmother just about kind of like the heaviness of this movie but it's 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 very good I'm glad that you enjoyed it yeah it's also like there is a lot of death in this movie like more than I anticipated yes for sure you kind of forget that in like what was this? It was like the 30s, the 1930s. Yeah, it's, it takes place between World War One and World War Two. Gotcha. Yeah. So like you kind of forget that people were just like, oh, like you had a bad case of pneumonia, like you're done. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. Did we did we say what the numbers were for the box office? No, we haven't said any of our. Do we drop those numbers on you? Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get down to brass tacks. This was a movie with an 11 million budget. And how much did it make in the box office? $119 million. That's a lot of cash. It's a lot of cash money. Go off Kathy Bates. Yeah, for real. Um, This movie also got nominated for two Oscars. I don't believe it won, but Jessica Tandy, who plays Ninny Threadgood, was nominated for Best Supporting and... They also nominated the movie for Best Adapted Screenplay because it is based on the novel Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Mm Flagg. 
I believe it was written in 1987. So pretty, like not a super long time before the movie was made. It was a pretty quick turnaround from film to, or from, from novel to film. And casting wise, yeah. as mentioned, we have Kathy Bates. We have Mary Stuart mm-hmm. Masterson. We have Mary Louise Parker, Cicely Tyson, um, Jessica Tandy, Chris O'Donnell, who I did not realize was in this movie until watching it this time. He played Buddy. Yes, right? yes. Uh, yeah, a pretty, a pretty crazy talented cast. Yeah, really great. Originally, they wanted to make this a musical. Wild. I don't understand who pitched that, and I think they should have been fired. <laughs> I'm glad that they did not end up doing that because... Oh, yeah. I think some of the subject matter here is simply just too dark for musical theater. I, I'm picturing like a horrible, like, buddy got run over around the railroad tracks. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Just like tragedy after tragedy. So yeah, good thing that this was not made into a musical. Yeah. But yeah, it was um obviously it was a huge hit. I know that some of the reviews were like a little bit mixed where they kind of criticized the adaptation of the movie because they definitely toned down the relationship between Iggy and Ruth in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's ever like explicitly said in the novel that like they are lesbians, but it is like way more yeah, clear. Like their relationship. Yeah. And I think that they even refer to Buddy as Iggy and Ruth's son, like acknowledging that like they like, are, like co-parented. A yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a lot more explicit in the book, but because of the times and studios and whatnot they were forced to imply more than be explicit but i think it's pretty clear yeah context versus content yeah but i think that the way that it was told was still quite beautiful and Mm -hmm. something i did appreciate was similar to kind of what we talked about with fire island like a relationship being a more indicated through like emotions and like conversations mm-hmm. than a need to be like o- over sexualized. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And it's very clear how strong their emotional bond is, especially like, like since the story spans so many years, we get to see mm-hmm. like the various phases of them, like connecting and coming to this place of like very, very true and pure love for each other. Yeah, absolutely. We have like one more fun fact that the restaurant they filmed at is in Georgia and it's still open. Mm -hmm. Um, They do serve fried green tomatoes, but it was inspired by the Irondale Cafe in Alabama that Fanny Flagg used to frequent. Mm. And we did look at the menu of the Whistle Stop Cafe and they do serve Bennett pulled pork. Bro. Yeah. So if you've seen this movie, you know what that's about. Oh my gosh. But other than that, is there anything before we should dive in? No, I'm I'm excited to get into it. Sweet, let's do it. Okay, so our opening is actually like quite long. We see this mm. old 
you know, 1930s car being pulled out of a lake. It's super rusted. And then we see a train speeding along the track. And we watch that for a while. I'm talking. Yes, we, do. <laughs> we get everyone's name in the like opening credits here. Mm-hmm. Then we see Miss Evelyn Couch, played by the one and only Kathy Bates. Um, she's like in the passenger seat of a car, and she is staring at a menu at this rest stop, with just like peach cobbler, apple pie, like all these desserts, and she's like mouth watering. Mm-hmm. She ends up poking her head out of the car window and she actually hears like this train roll past. Like she can hear the whistle of the train and it's almost like, I don't know if ethereal is the right word here, but it's like, Mm -hmm. is this happening? Is she kind of just imagining what it used to be like in this town? Yeah, it's a very haunting quality. Mm -hmm. It's like an abandoned town and she asked her husband if he heard that. But he's like, no, no, no. And he's like, where are we going? Like, what's the next stop on the map? And she's like, I'm not sure. And they're just running late to visit her husband's aunt in the old folks home. We get to said old folks home and Ed's aunt promptly throws a basket at Evelyn upon seeing her. Yeah. Uh, so clearly not really looking forward to seeing Evelyn. She's not a fan. I I believe it's implied that she has like dementia or yeah, something like, like Alzheimer's that. or some something like that. We actually never see her on screen ever. Mm-hmm. But Ed is like, "You know what? I don't want to upset her. Why don't you just wait outside and I will visit with my aunt." So she ends up going to the lounge where a lady named Ninny Threadgood yells over at her about her gallbladder because she recently had it taken out and she's like, I bet it's still in a jar at the hospital. And Evan's like, okay, that's, that's nice. So it's like, so cool. Yeah. Thank you. So she then introduces herself to Evelyn as Mrs. Cleo Threadgood. She's an 82 year old widow, but everybody calls her Ninny. So Ninny says that she, you know, isn't actually a resident here. She's just visiting because her friend, Mrs. Otis, needed to come and she didn't want her to be all alone, but, you know, she has her own house to get back to. And then she also starts talking about enemas because uh, she recently had one and says that she's from Whistle Stop. She then asks Evelyn if she's ever heard of it. And Evelyn's like, oh, yes, we actually just drove through Whistle Stop on our way here. And so Nitty asks her if she has ever heard of Iggy Threadgood. And she's like, no, I've never heard that name before. Ninny says that she married Iggy's brother, but Iggy and her friend Ruth ran the Whistle Stop Cafe together, which is the place that Evelyn was looking at. And she's like, oh yeah, Iggy, she's a character, but how anyone could have thought that she murdered that man is beyond me. <laughs> and it's like... <gasps> What? Murder. Murder. The plot thickens. And so Ninny tells Evelyn about the day that they pulled that car out of the water and Iggy was arrested for the murder of Frank Bennett. But to understand Iggy, you have to go all the way back and start (laughs) with her brother, Buddy. So freaking true. (laughs) Where are we? The 1930s. This woman can't read. (laughs) 
But yeah, so they do go back and she tells Evelyn, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm reminiscing like after watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so one day they were all getting ready for Iggy's sister's wedding. This is Leona. Mm. It was just after the war, you know, the great one. And <laughs> Leona is freaking out because Iggy won't come down and get ready for the wedding. So she goes over to her mom. Her mom is like, you could be more grateful. Your your father's spending literally every last penny on this wedding. Mm-hmm. So she goes over to the stairs and calls up for Iggy to come down. Then obviously nothing happens. She calls Buddy over. And when Buddy asks her to come down, she does. Iggy makes her way down in this super frilly dress as one of her brothers, Julian, taunts her. And he's like, oh, you look like a monkey. And her knees are like scabbed up. So it's clear that mm-hmm. she's like a tomboy and yeah. she doesn't want to wear this. So Iggy jumps over the banister and attacks him <laughs> and then runs out. And Leona's like, oh, my God, like the wedding is bro end. So Buddy follows Iggy outside. She's sitting in a tree. Okay, we watched a different movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> So, like, I heard this as a voiceover during the reception. What? Yeah. The the way that I saw it, it was like, she's like, oh, my God, you're running the wedding. And then we get a, a scene of the wedding and they're in the church and Iggy is holding a mirror and it's reflecting the sun into the, the reverend's eyes. Yeah, I saw that scene, too. But there's this whole scene before that, like, sets up her and Buddy's bond. Well, I got this scene after. What? <laughs> but depending on the movie you watch, what happens next oh is God. Iggy goes into a tree and Buddy follows Iggy and um, she's taking off like every layer of her dress and Buddy climbs up. He's like, are you going to stay up here all day long? Yeah. Like she's like, screw everyone. I hate them. And he's like, mm. listen, did I ever tell you about the oysters? And she's like, the oh. oysters. And he's like. There are millions of oysters lying on the ocean floor. And then one day, God put a piece of sand in one and said, yeah, that one's going to make a pearl. And Iggy's like, what if God made a mistake? And Buddy's like, God doesn't make mistakes. He made sure you got the most charming and good looking brother in the world. And Iggy climbs down with Buddy and ends up wearing this like little yellow suit to the wedding. Wow, I'm so excited to see what other different scenes we experienced from the different versions of this movie that we (laughs) apparently have watched. (laughs) Oh, boy. So after this, at the reception, Nanny says that back in the day, she had the biggest crush on Buddy, but his heart belonged to Ruth Jameson. And we see this, like, gorgeous shot of Mary Louise Parker. She has this, like, yellow little, like, white hat and this, like, dress and her, like, beautiful curly hair. She was a family friend that was visiting that summer. And we see Iggy, Ruth, and Buddy all go for a walk, like, in the water. Mm-hmm. And on their way there, Buddy tells this story about how there's this big patch of land in Whistle Stop that used to be – a river, but then, like, one day... Oh, my God. You don't remember the story? No. <laughs> I didn't write it down. <laughs> He's like, 
Oh, yeah, that big patch of land. We used to love it. We used to go swimming in it. We would go, Mm. you know, fishing in it. And then one day, a giant flock of birds, like 50 birds, uh, land on the lake. And because of that, the temperature changed so rapidly. The whole lake froze in three Mm. seconds flat. And she's like, oh, my God, like, what happened to the birds? And he's like, oh, no, they flew off. Now the lake's in Georgia somewhere. (laughs) There we go. Because every time it's it's told after this, it's during like an emotionally tense moment. You're so, so I'm right. focusing on the other things. <laughs> but yes, the story gets repeated several times through the film. But they then make their way to the train tracks. Iggy is kind of like doing her own thing on this little bridge. Ruth and Buddy are talking away. And Ruth actually like lowers her parasol and her and buddy like share a little kiss so ag can't see but then ruth's hat flies off her head so buddy's like don't worry i'll retrieve it for you and he runs down to the tracks but the hat just keeps like blowing further and further away and the girls are laughing and he's like i'm gonna get it don't you worry i'm gonna get it and then further along the track he does finally pick up the hat But then his foot gets stuck in between the tracks. And to make matters worse, a train starts coming. So he starts trying to get his boot off. He's like undoing the laces and the girls are like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, get out of the get out of the train tracks. And he's like panicking. He's trying to get his boot off. It's totally stuck. And he manages to get his foot free at the very last second. But it's too late. My man jumped left instead of right. Mm-hmm. He gets hit by the train. The girls scream. Everybody from the reception rushes over. Iggy tries to run up to Buddy's body, but Big George picks her up and takes her away as she screams so she doesn't see. Pretty shocking. Yeah. To be, like, right there. Oh, totally. Because they make you fall in love with Buddy so quickly yeah. in such a short amount of time. It's it's like what we saw in Raise Your Voice where it's like, oh, my God, this charming older brother cares so much about his sister and just like a horrifyingly tragic death. Oh, yeah. I honestly thought that he was going to be okay. I was like, there's no way that they would kill him so early. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. So we see the funeral and Nini says that, Nobody took Buddy's passing as hard as Iggy. It was like she died along with him. And Iggy doesn't go to the funeral. She's kind of like in the woods. And night after night, she would stay by the river. And Big George was the only one she would let near her. Mm-hmm. And Nini says a heart can be broken, but it still keeps a beating just the same. Oh. So Evelyn wipes her tears and she pulls out a candy bar from her bag and mm-hmm. offers it to Ninny. <laughs> but that's when her husband comes in to get her. He's like, all right, we got to go. And she's like, I just can't believe that Buddy died. And Ninny's like, yeah, I mean, we couldn't either. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I was there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I enjoyed talking to you. You come back to see me sometime, okay? And Evelyn's like, mm-hmm. And then leaves with Ed. Yes, because he has to catch the game, and she has a class. What's her class? <laughs> Marriage class, baby. It's this woman oh. who has way too much enthusiasm. She's like, here's how we put some spark back in your marriage. 
And so the lady next to her, her friend Missy, leans over and she's like, do you remember when they used to tell us to wrap ourselves in cellophane to bring that spark back into your marriage? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like the static (laughs) cling from the cellophane. Yeah. And then Evelyn kind of drifts off and she thinks about dressing up in cellophane and like we see this daydream of her with like little like gold makeup on and she's wrapped up in the cellophane she even has like a cellophane shawl it's like very elaborate and in her daydream like her husband gets home and he's like what are you doing the neighbors can see you like what if i was the paper boy (laughs) basically things are amiss in their relationship and Mm -hmm. um she snaps out of it And Missy's like, you know, what we really need is an assertiveness class for Southern women, but that's in opposite terms. Yes. So that night, Evelyn makes dinner for her husband, Ed. He, like, walks in the door. She has a beer, like, all ready to hand to him. He's like, oh, Evelyn, this looks amazing. And he picks up his plate and walks it over to the fucking TV and sits down Mm-mm-mm. and she's like why don't you come uh, sit at the table and have dinner with me he's like oh i just i gotta catch the end of this game babe like i, I gotta <laughs> babe <laughs> she's like ed what would you do if i answered the door wearing only cellophane would you still be watching the game right now and he's like sweetheart if you did that i'd have to check you into the loony bin so Clearly, Ed is not interested whatsoever in spicing up their relationship, nor even paying the slightest amount of attention to his wife. Mm-hmm. So, Too comfortable. I did like their accents, is what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Love a Southern accent. Mm-hmm. If I could, like, if I, like, ran away and I was like, I'm going to start a new life, I'd, like, go to the South and be like, oh, I have a porch and I'm just, like, making lemonade all the time and I'm sitting out on the porch. <laughs> Yeah, an Alabama accent is very pleasing to the ear. Oh, yeah. It's so just like, it's very like smooth and kind of like low and yeah. Yeah. Evelyn and Ed go back to the old folks' home to visit his aunt for Halloween. Uh, They go in, they have like a basket of candy, and she throws that basket of candy at Evelyn. So... Evelyn is like, well, at least her eyesight's failing. And she goes back to the lounge and she notices Ninny. So they sit down together. Evelyn offers her a donut and she asks about Miss Otis. And Ninny's like, oh, she's not doing great. You know, she won't be going home for a while. And she really misses her house. This is Ninny saying that. Yeah. She's not going home for a while. So Ninny asks Evelyn what she misses when she's away from home. And Ninny tells her that she misses the smell of coffee, you know, the smell of bacon cooking, and fried green tomatoes, just like back at the cafe. Mm. And she asks Evelyn if she told her about the cafe. We go back into this flashback, back to Iggy. Ninny says that Iggy hardly ever came back home after Buddy died, and uh, only Big George knew how to find her. She just didn't seem to care about anything anymore. Then, one day when her mother sent for her, when she came back home, that's the day that she met Frank Bennett, the man whose murder got her arrested. Bum, bum, bum. 
Frank is just a slimy man. He sees Iggy and immediately starts hitting on her. He's like, hey, pretty lady, like, who are you type of thing? And she introduces herself as Tawanda, which is a phrase you will hear countless times through this film. So is that the in init- like initial use of it? Yes, yeah. It's kind of like her alter ego, but also just kind of like a an exclamation like Eureka. And but it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. an empowering, like when you say Tawanda, it's like an empowering yeah. thing that you're saying. Yeah. So Iggy kind of like blows him off and she's like, not today, sir, and walks on her way. That's when she goes back to her house and sees her mother and Sipsy, played by the late great Cicely Tyson, husking some corn. And her mother is like, oh, Iggy, you'll never guess who's staying with us for the summer. Ruth Jameson. What? My gosh. So Ruth comes out. Iggy is like kind of shocked to see her because I, I assume she hasn't seen her since Buddy died. And she's just kind of like, Hi. And leaves, walks off. Ruth is a little bit put off by this, and she tells Mama Threadgood that she doesn't think this will work, but Miss Threadgood is like, it has to. Ruth has George drive her over to the River Club. Yeah, yeah, the River Club. The River Club, and that's where Iggy plays cards with the guys. It's like a bar. A saloon, if you will. Yes, a saloon. Ruth walks right up to her table. Itchy's like, you're going to have to wait. Next thing we see, Ruth is walking down the steps with Itchy following her. And she's like, give me my money back. So Ruth has taken um, (laughs) Itchy's winnings and just walked away with them. And so she's like, no, get in the car. Like, you're coming home with us. And Itchy's like, sure, fine. Jumps in the car, jumps right out and calls her a sucker. Psych. Yeah, literally. So Ruth is like, I don't know how you can break your mother's heart like you do. And that we all lost Buddy, but that doesn't mean she should turn her back on her family. And Itchy's like, you're the one with the problem for getting my brother. Man, yeah, this is kind of like the first time I think that Itchy has really been like challenged by someone like yeah. in a while. Like it's definitely like, a oh, I've met my match type of dynamic Mm -hmm. uh, because Ruth definitely is a little more reserved and comes across as more like demure, but she's definitely not afraid to like stand up to Iggy and best her a little bit. Absolutely. So after church, Ruth goes to this like big river, like reservoir area where Iggy is fishing and she's like, listen, maybe if you gave me a chance to get to know you, like, it could be fun. Iggy looks over and she's like, okay, suit yourself. So that night, Iggy actually takes Ruth to a train and they sneak onto one of the cars. Once they're in the car, the train starts moving and Ruth starts (laughs) like freaking out. She wants to get off and Iggy's like, oh no, the fun is just starting. And Ruth literally looks like she's about to vomit. She's like, Sometimes I get a little dizzy looking down. And it just goes, don't look down. I'm like, oh. All right. Oh, the All banter. Right. My God. So as the train drives by like a kind of like a homeless encampment, I suppose. Yeah. 
Iggy then tosses all these supplies and food down from the train to all of the people. Mm-hmm. So all the people are running alongside the train as Iggy is tossing out like canned goods, whatever is in this train like car. bags of rice, I'm assuming flour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ruth is like, what are you doing? This is crazy. And Iggy's like, I've seen the same people at church on Sunday over at the River Club every other night of the week, and they're doing anything but praying. Mm. Like, this is actually helping people. So true. And this actually strikes a chord with Ruth, and she decides to join in, and they toss more and more food. Eventually, once they pass by all the people, Iggy's like, okay, it's time for us to jump off. And Ruth is like, excusez-moi, jump off a moving train, ma'am. She's horrified, but Iggy's like, oh, you'll never jump, will you? And Ruth says, don't say never to me. And then jumps out of the moving train. Pretty bold. Followed by Iggy, who yells, Tawanda. (laughs) Yeah, very bold. She's like, don't ever say never to me. Boom. (gasps) Off the train. Yeah. (laughs) But... Iggy has clearly injured herself in her jump. And Ruth is like, okay, we got to get you to a doctor. Mm -hmm. So she like picks her up, puts her arm over her shoulder so that they can walk the two miles to the doctor. In the morning, or actually it's kind of not super detailed of when these events occur, but it's kind of just like a progression of Iggy and Ruth becoming closer friends. So... After that experience with the train, they do hang out again, and Iggy comes to the Threadgood house in the morning. She steals her brother Julian's keys, and she opens Ruth's window, and she's like, you ready to go? Ruth, like, falls out of bed with her, like, Mm. bonnet still on. Yeah. And she's like, does this have anything to do with trains? So she goes with um, Iggy, and they drive out to this field, and she's like, do you like honey? And Ruth is like, of course. So they end up having this picnic. It looks like really nice. And Iggy walks with this jar in her hand across the field to another tree where all these bees are buzzing. Oh, my God. Nightmare. She sticks her hand (laughs) in the tree where the beehive is and takes out a rectangular piece of honeycomb and puts it in the jar And then she walks back towards Ruth, and Ruth is, like, in awe. So Iggy comes back over, and Ruth is like, why did you do that? You could have gotten yourself killed. And she's like, I got it for you. And Ruth is speechless, and she's like, I do it all the time. I don't get stung. Like, are you mad at me? Oh, my God. The way that she says that, she's like, don't be mad at me. I was like, And she also comes over initially and she's like, Madame, your honey. Like, it's yeah. super cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ruth is like, no, no, I'm not mad. I've always, uh, I love this part. <laughs> yeah. I've always heard that there were people who could charm bees, but I've never seen it before today. You're a bee charmer. Oh my God. <laughs> Itchy offers her the jar of honey and Ruth puts her hand in and tastes some. Oh my gosh. This is definitely like the most kind of like sensual yeah. scene in the movie, especially because like a honey jar is literally like another term for a vagina. Or like honey pot. Yeah. Yeah. So like the 
imagery of her like just sticking like two fingers or like a finger into the jar. I was like, oh my. I love him. Very suggestive. Um, but yeah, just the way that they like interact, it's so charged and like we actually get to see this kind of softer side to mm-hmm. Iggy because she has been very like gruff and rough around the edges. And to see her be so like bashful when she's like, well, don't be mad at me. Like, Yeah, it's very endearing. Mm-hmm. Also, I think I would literally start crying if like of just like being overjoyed if somebody was like, you're a bee charmer. I'd just be like, oh my God. I'd like, like, what a term. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Uh, two comments about this. One, Mary Stuart Masterson actually did this stunt because the stunt double backed out, which I'm like, that's your whole job. But mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, I'll do it. And so she literally goes and like, you know, gets the honeycomb out of the tree and walks it over. There's so many bees on her. There are so, so many. many bees. But the other thing I was going to say is that picnics are like one of the most romantic activities you can do. Mm. And gazebos being one of the most romantic architectural features is exactly mm. why they have the Gilmore Girls episode where they have the <gasps> baskets in the basket auction. Right. And Lorelai and Luke are the ones who have their picnic in the gazebo. Wow. You know. It all comes back to Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Always. Always. Uh yeah, this is this is a very beautiful scene. Also, they're both wearing like white. Like I think that mm-hmm. Ruth is wearing like a white dress and Iggy is wearing this kind of like puffy, like white shirt. Everything is just very like flowy. It's giving like safari energy <laughs> have you seen have you seen the movie this is a little bit of a deep cut but have you seen the movie picnic at hanging rock no it's an australian movie from the 70s so i don't expect you to have seen it but it's actually based on a novel of the same name that i read in high school and so we watched the movie and i highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen it to watch it just because visually it's like one of the most beautiful films I've seen in terms of just like having this very like ethereal, like feminine quality. Mm-hmm. It's about like these girls at this boarding school in Australia. They go for this picnic at Hanging Rock, and the most like popular, beautiful girl in the school ends up going missing. Whoa. And it's about like, you know, the mystery of what happened to her. But it reminded me like visually a lot of the scene where it's just kind of like, flowy white linens mm-hmm. and it's very like feminine and romantic in like feeling yeah so we then see a little clip of ruth teaching sunday school and Iggy just kind of like lovingly watching her through the window then we fast forward to ruth's birthday and Iggy takes ruth to a surprise party at the river club and Iggy is wearing this like trousers and a shirt and suspenders and like a tie it's like very butch definitely not what you would expect for like a woman in the like early 30s yeah but she looks very cool ruth has like her little dress on and iggy's also like puts her arm around ruth and she's like we're gonna you know celebrate your birthday whatever she says but she's getting like very (laughs) close there's like a lot of tension a lot of touching 
Ruth is kind of hesitant because she's like, I don't drink. And she's like, well, you do to Nat. They have like a birthday cake and everything. Yeah, it's very cute. And like later on, we can see that everyone's gotten kind of tipsy and they decide to like drunkenly play baseball. Iggy is pitching while Ruth is batting. She does manage to, you know, hit the ball and she like very excitedly like runs around the bases Iggy lets her, you know, get a home run. It's very cute. Yeah. And then they go over to the lake and um, it's just Iggy and Ruth. And Ruth is kind of wadding through the water in her slip while they're playing cards. And she's like, I've never had so much fun in my whole life. And (laughs) Ruth asks Iggy what her mom is going to think when she sees both of them drunk. And Iggy's like, you got to stop worrying so much about what people think and tells her that she always does the right thing. She took care of her father. She takes care of the kids at Sunday school um, and she's going to take care of her mom. And Ruth is like, yeah, and I'm even going to marry the man I'm supposed to. And Itchy's like, you're getting married? And Ruth is like, yep, as soon as summer's over. No. Yeah. The girls splash each other, and Ruth says she's going to miss Iggy, and this is the best birthday she's ever had. And then she kisses Iggy on the cheek before going back into the lake. Oh, my gosh. And just, like, the look on her face, it's just such, like, a light bulb moment Yeah, for Iggy. Like, no, Ruth, don't get married. Stop the wedding. But it's also, like, I wonder... During that time period, do you just take solace in the fact that you can be like so close and you kind of are able to have that bond and it's not complicated by a romance because it's like illegal, <laughs> but like right. at least you can have a, a close friendship and t- take comfort in that. I mean, I don't know. I would be very curious to read kind of like like diary entries or letters and stuff from particularly like from closeted women of the time and just kind of get a better understanding of what it might have been like. Cause like I, I just have no mm-hmm. frame of reference or concept for what it must have been like in that time to, to be like a lesbian and not be able to explore that. Yeah. Not only because it's like not accepted, but because it's like illegal. Yeah. I, In my, like, queer utopias class I took in college, we read stories. Like, so Mm. I can't remember the name of this book. But the point is just, like, a lot of fiction works from that time period Mm -hmm. had undertones of, like, oh, this close, like, female relationship or something. But it wasn't, like, explicit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think that during this time... The way that people viewed marriage was much more a like business mm-hmm. partnership where it was like a dowry was involved or like land or what a husband can provide because a woman can't really work like mm-hmm. the same way they can now. And in a weird way, I do think that that allowed women to have friendships and to like really 
like have super close friendships. Whereas now I do think that a cult, our culture has shifted to be like, oh, your partner is supposed to be your best friend. And like, right. you're supposed to have this amazing, loving, you know, sexually pleasing bond. And it has to be like so fulfilling, mm-hmm. but it's like, you can derive fulfillment from other yeah. parts of your life. Like it doesn't have to be centered around your partner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. There is such a huge emphasis on romantic relationships being the most important relationship. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that's like very narrow and also very invalidating to the importance of friendships because those are often like yeah. some of the longest relationships that anyone will have in their life. And they don't end quite as frequently as romantic relations relationships do. So yeah, it's it's interesting to think about like I wonder when that shift – I guess that shift probably coincided more with like if we're looking at, the, you know, like hetero relationships with like women getting more autonomy and power. Yeah, I do think it is interesting how it's uh, – there's just a lot of emphasis on like, yeah, not only should you marry a guy who's successful, but he also has to be fulfilling in every way. Mm-hmm. And it's like – No one can be everything. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes me think about like especially when – like historians and whoever are looking at letters from historical figures when it's between maybe it's like between two men and stuff and it's like oh they they're using all this like very romantic language and it's like oh that's just how they talked back then they were just good friends and it's like mm, I don't know about that Shakespeare come yeah. On. yeah and I think that this movie is definitely like a clear example of like oh and history will say that they were just friends yeah but clearly not so ruth did invite iggy to her wedding but iggy never wrote back but we do see that she actually drove all the way to georgia to watch frank like carrying ruth like over the threshold into their home upon seeing that iggy is obviously incredibly heartbroken and she swore that she'd never see Ruth again. So we then go back to present day where Evelyn is at another class to help save her marriage. This one is a little different tonally, though, because in this class, all the women are handed mirrors so that they can examine their own vaginas. Wowie. Evelyn is super uncomfortable, very hesitant, and the teacher is like, Evelyn, do you have a problem with your sexuality? And Evelyn's like, no, but I do have a problem with my girdle. And then just runs out of the class. Skips town. Yeah. Changes her name. <laughs> Never heard from ever again. Uh, yeah. So she's clearly not interested in uh, exploring herself yet. Yeah. So at home, we see that she sets the table for dinner. Ed gets home, immediately takes his plate to the TV. So she goes over and she's like, Ed, you know, these classes aren't helping me. Maybe we should go to Florida like we did when we first got married, you know, like spice things up a little bit. And he's like, why would we do that? And she's like, oh, you know, just go somewhere, just the two of us. And he's like, it's just the two of us here. He literally could not care less (laughs) about doing anything for his marriage. Yeah. And he's like, well, if these classes aren't helping you, then just don't go. I don't find Ed to be like a mean-spirited man, but he's definitely not focusing on his partner like at all 
I don't, yeah, I don't find him to be like malicious, but he is very self-centered and like not thoughtful and inconsiderate. That's the word I'm looking for, inconsiderate. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Christmas and Evelyn goes into the lounge, the old folks home, um, looking for Ninny and she finds her with a perm and some purple <laughs> hair and she's like, oh yeah, like I got my hair done. Do you like it? A, a college student or a beauty college student did it for me. Like they'll come to the house and kind of like try stuff mm. out on us. It does look like when people bleach their hair and then they leave like the purple shampoo on for too long. That yeah. is what it looks like. <laughs> I actually think it does look kind of cool. Like, oh yeah, I I feel like if someone got their hair permed and purpled now, it'd be like, oh my gosh, they're so chic. <laughs> but yes, so Evelyn is like a little like that's that's new, that's different. But she gives Ninny some chocolates for Christmas, and she pulls up a stool to hear more about Iggy. And Ninny tells her after Ruth left, Iggy went back to her old ways, hanging out at the river club. But after a few years, temptation got the better of her. So one morning, Iggy is woken up by Big George. And he's like, oh, by the way, your mom heard that you are driving to Georgia. Make sure you take this pie for Ruth. And she's like, how does my mom know? Turns out that Sipsy told Mrs. Threadgood. And also that Sipsy is letting Iggy, like, live at her house at the moment. No one told me that. (laughs) That wasn't in your movie? (laughs) No. (laughs) She's like, if you're living under my roof, like, you gotta follow my rules. No. (laughs) Oh. Well, that she is living with Sipsy. I would have loved to just get, like, an ounce more of Cicely Tyson in this movie. Oh, yeah. She also, she tells Iggy, like, not to stir up any trouble. When she goes to see Ruth. Iggy drives up to Ruth's house with a with a bob cut. Mm-hmm. And Ruth comes to the door. Iggy is like, wow, you have like a lovely home. And she's like, my mom wanted me to give you this pie. As if she drew drove all the way to Georgia to give mm-hmm. this woman a pie. Yep. And Ruth doesn't really make eye contact with Iggy. But she says that she looks so grown up. And the guys must be wild about her. And she asks Iggy if she has a boyfriend. And Iggy's like, I haven't decided on any. Because I'm gay. It's because I'm in love with you. I didn't say that. (laughs) The subtext said (laughs) it. And then Frank is yelling. And he's like, who's there, Ruth? And Ruth turns at the sound of her husband calling for her and we see that her right eye is totally like black right so here's mm-hmm. the black eye it's insinuated insinuated yeah her husband mm-hmm. is like hurting her and itchy is like oh i'm gonna kill frank but ruth is like if you really care about me you won't do anything you'll turn around and leave so she closes the door on itchy And she goes back to her car and drives away. And Frank is like, who is that? What did she want? And Ruth is like, nothing. Cut to sometime later, probably a couple months. And Iggy gets a letter in the mail from Ruth. There's an obituary. Turns out her mother passed away. 
And there's also a ripped out page from a Bible with a passage underlined. And it says, Whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Yeah, so that's her like her signal, her secret message to Iggy, which is like, get me out, please Mm -hmm. come and save me. So Iggy, Big George, and Julian all drive to Ruth's house. Iggy goes upstairs to see Ruth sitting in the window, and she's like, my mother died, and I'm pregnant. Wow. (sighs) They pack up all of Ruth's stuff. They load it into the car. But Frank gets home. He asks what's going on, and Iggy is like, your wife is leaving you. That's what's going on. He immediately puts his hands on Ruth. Iggy jumps on him to attack him. She tries to, like, cover his eyes to get him to stop. And he ends up slamming her against a wall. Like, really, really hard. Yeah. Once he, you know, slams Iggy into the wall, Ruth is like, do not touch her. And she goes to attack Frank. But he just, like swings her over his shoulder and starts bringing her back up the stairs and that's when julian and big george come in and julian is like you better put her down because big george is crazy if he gets mad you don't know what he's gonna do and big george like flashes a knife so frank does put ruth down and she starts walking down the stairs and he kicks her in the back making her like fall at the bottom of the stairs on her stomach They help her up and they get her into the car. And as they're leaving, Iggy yells that if he ever touches her again, she's going to kill him. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like a plot point, but it Mm -hmm. sucks that she like gets married and then it's because he's like beating her that she leaves. So fast forward, we are back in present day 1991 and Evelyn gets entranced looking at this magazine with like different headlines and Missy, her friend from earlier in the class, is like, am I going to see you at group tonight? They'll be talking about masturbation. And Mm -hmm. Evelyn is like, no, thank you. Like, I've had (laughs) enough learning for the time being. So she takes her groceries and on the way out, some teen with a mullet pushes her and she tells them, excuse me. And the guy's like, screw you. So Evelyn decides to follow him out to the parking lot. And she's like, why are you being mean to me? And the teen is just like, fuck you, lady. Like, just so dismissive and drives away. And Evelyn's grocery bag breaks and she cries and she, like, tries to collect her things. She's having, like, a really tough time. Absolutely broke my heart. Kathy Bates is really fantastic in this role. I think she does such a good job of, like, playing that kind of, like, that like quietly unsatisfied woman who's been like trapped in this role of like wife and mother for so long. And like, she really captures Evelyn's like kind and open heart. And so when she is hurt like this and we see it like happen a couple of other times where she's like dismissed or she's ignored or yeah. made to feel small, it it really is heartbreaking to watch because I mean, this is something we'll talk about more so with, with, like, a later scene. But as a woman, like, when you get older, when you, like, lose your quote-unquote, like, value of being young and attractive, yeah, like, you are deemed, like, invisible and not worthy. And that's, like – Totally. It's a fucking horrifying thing. I mean, it's the dichotomy of, like, either sexual object or mother. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it's like either you're odd enough or young enough, right, to be like attractive or mm-hmm. you get older and you're like, oh, that's a mom. Like that's a maiden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I can totally, you know, visualize, see mm-hmm. that getting to that point, especially because it's clear that they're empty nesters now. Their son mm-hmm. has moved out. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not even a mother now. Like, what am I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when, like, your entire value is defined by, like, what you provide for others, there's, like, no sense of self. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get too deep about it, but yeah, that was just something I was, I was thinking about. I think it's um, I didn't really understand the the significance of Evelyn's storyline when I watched this movie for the first time because I was like nineteen and I had no concept of like oh yeah a woman aging and like what that what that does totally so. totally and like I definitely don't understand it to the full extent that women who are older than me do, but. Now that I have had a few more years mm-hmm. on me since then, I feel like I, I have a better understanding of the the weight of yeah. the storyline and like its greater implications. Back to Evelyn, she does, after this grocery incident, go to visit Ninny and she's really upset. She tells Ninny that she feels powerless. She can't stop eating. She hides candy bars all over the house and she can't even look at her own vagina. And she says she wishes she just had the courage to get it over with and get really fat. And this is actually a line that stuck out to me a lot where she says, I'm too young to be old, but I'm too old to be young. Yeah, because there's a big age difference between how old she is and how old Ninny is. Mm -hmm. But the way that people are treating her, it's like she's like might as well be invisible. She's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're 40 or you're 50. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're my grandma. Like, right. So, yeah, that that line also stuck out to me. Yeah. And I was like, we'll talk about this in a later scene. It was literally like the next scene <laughs> that I was referencing is like this particular line. I even feel like, and I think that this is like a New York thing, but just being like 26 living in New York, like mm-hmm. seeing all the college students or like going out yeah. on a night and you're like, oh my God, like these kids are like, the size of my pinky and are wearing like amazing outfits and like it's just so crazy to see that <laughs> and you're like yeah. if one of those kids like they'd be like oh like what's that like I don't know I don't know it's just a weird uh dichotomy of age I would say mm-hmm. where it's like I feel older than I am it's also can be jarring sometimes when you do see people younger than you because for so long when you're growing up you're like always the youngest person in any given place because like you're a kid and then very suddenly you're not anymore totally but Ninny does ask Evelyn if she's getting hot flashes sweats fast heartbeat Evelyn's like how do you know and Ninny's like dear (laughs) Evelyn you're going through menopause it's the change and Evelyn starts crying, and then he's like, oh, there's no need to cry. You just need hormones. That's all. Get the moans in you, baby. Truly, I I mean, I guess we'll, we'll find out one day, but I can't imagine how, like, crazy one must feel when going through menopause because, like, there's just so many imbalances happening in your body. Like, you feel like you're going insane. You're, like, hot and sweaty all the time. It sounds like a 
horrifying time. So I am a little bit afraid to go through it. I mean, my mom did. And she's mm-hmm. like, chill now. Once you're on the other side of it, it's probably fine. I'm going <laughs> to ask more details now. I'm curious. But mm-hmm. um, oh, shit, what was I going to say? Oh, Hopefully, we can all afford um, houses with central air by the time we hit menopause. One can only hope. Yeah. So Evelyn asks, like, oh, is that all? Is it just, like, the hormones? And then he's like, yeah, you just got to get some hormones, get out of the house, get yourself a job. You know, you have a really pretty complexion. I think you would do great with cosmetics. And Nini tells Evelyn that she knows how she feels because she was about her age when she had her child and she went through the change. And I'm like, so Nini was in her like 40s when she had her child? Yeah, that's what I I got from that. Like it was yeah. a later pregnancy. Because that would have been in the 40s? Maybe early 50s. Early 50s because she's 83 during this movie and I assume it's like oh. takes place in the late 80s. Yeah, 87. So 40s. Yeah. To have a, a baby at, at 40 in the 40s, that's got to be like a medical marvel. Yeah, unheard of. So she had her child and then she went through menopause. Her son's name was Albert. And she then tells this really tragic story about how when her son was born, the doctors like didn't even want her to see the baby. They said that he wouldn't develop past the age of five and would just be a burden. So she should just like send him off somewhere else. And Nini says that she thought of what Ruth always used to say, which was that there was a separate God for children. And she asked to see her baby. And of course she immediately fell in love with her child and says that there's no way she could ever see him as a burden. He was the joy of her life. And she doesn't believe that there was a purer soul on earth. And she had him until he was 30, and she says that she can't wait to join him again soon. Back to Time Jump 1930s. Um, Iggy and her family celebrate the birth of Ruth's baby boy, and she names him Buddy Jr. in an homage to Buddy. Nini tells us that Iggy's dad went out and borrowed money for them to start the Whistle Stop Cafe together. I also definitely had thought that there was going to be a miscarriage because of oh my the gosh, yeah. stairs situation. I thought that's what they were starting yeah. up. But no, she did. She did have her child. She did have Buddy. And now our gals are business owners. They're just Whoa. girl bosses. So they start the Whistle Stop Cafe. We see them getting it ready for opening. We see Ruth uh, serving some customers outside. Big George is working the barbecue. Meanwhile, inside, Grady tells Iggy that there are some people in this town who don't like the fact that they serve black people. And Iggy's like, okay, well, how about the next time those people come in here? I'm going to ask them if they don't want anybody to know who they are when they're under those sheets that they wear in those parades that they go marching around in. Why don't they have the sense to change their shoes? Because I'd recognize those size 14 feet anywhere. Mm. She's talking about a KKK rally um, that seemed to happen occasionally in the town. And Grady's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll talk to the, to the boys, but you have to keep the customers 
in the back. You can't serve them inside. So in the kitchen, Big George tells Iggy that she's going to get herself in like a ton of trouble. But Iggy's like, oh, no, Grady's harmless, whatever. And like tells the story about how he cried like a baby when the black man who raised him passed away. But Sipsy says that he sure has changed now. And it doesn't make any sense that he won't sit next to a black child, but he eats eggs that shoot right out of a chicken's ass, <laughs> which is a fair point, I would say. Yeah. So Itchy goes into the cafe in the front end and sits next to this old man, Smoky Lonesome. He is struggling to steady his hand and eat his food. Itchy notices um, Ruth also notices this and Itchy asks to go on a walk with him. And he apologizes for spilling his food, but Itchy hands him a bottle of booze. And she's like, did I ever tell you about this patch of land that I used to have? Um, it used to be a lake. And she's about to tell the duck story again. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure while she's doing this, like Ruth is watching her mm-hmm. talk to this man and comfort him. And at night, Ruth notices Smokey in the shed and covers him with a blanket. And he's like, God bless you. So another day in the cafe, Iggy is making fried green tomatoes. She goes and gives Ruth a bite and she's like, they're okay. And Iggy's like, well, be honest. And she's like, okay, they're terrible. They're not good. Bad, bad they are. And Iggy's like, oh, don't be shy. Tell me how you really feel. And Ruth is like, oh, I will. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the subtext. Yeah. But Iggy then walks over, puts her arm around Ruth, and then splashes her face with a cup of water. And Ruth is shocked. And Iggy goes, I just thought you needed a little cooling off. Damn. A lot of tension. A lot of tension. And Ruth then is like, oh, Okay, so then she goes and splashes Iggy with some water, and Iggy grabs a fistful of blackberries and, like, smushes them on Ruth's face. Ruth then takes a spoonful of, like, chocolate frosting and, like, puts it on Iggy, and they get into this whole little food fight. They're just, like, laughing. They're super, like, giggly and having a great time. Grady then decides to insert himself and, like, walks into the kitchen is like what the hell are you doing and they're just like laughing he's like you better stop before i arrest you for disorderly conduct (laughs) and ruth is like oh i'm real sorry and then grabs a thing of chocolate frosting and just splats it on his face and the girls laugh and he's like you know ruth iggy's a real bad influence on you (laughs) yeah i think um ruth is like Itchy, don't worry. Let me handle this. And like, just ices him. Yeah, I really love this very like playful scene that we get between them because there is so much like doom and gloom in this film. Yeah. So to get to see like a little snapshot of like some of the happy times that they had together at the cafe is really special. Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what happens next? Oh, no. Frank... Bennett returns to Whistle Stop and he's kind of like on a stakeout. He watches Big George sing and chop wood and drives off. Then that night, the KKK gathers 
And Frank, who is a part of it, um, excuses himself and makes his way to Ruth's house. He goes in and he says that he wants to see his son. And Ruth and Sipsy try to protect the baby. Sipsy has like a broom that she kind of tries to use to get Frank to go away. But Frank doesn't stop. And he goes over to the crib. He sees the baby. But Smokey, who has been sleeping in the shed, comes into the house and tells him to leave. Then the door is like still open. So a clan's member comes in and he's like, come on, Frank, like, let's get a move on. Meanwhile, in the cafe, Grady plays poker with Itchy and they can actually see through their window. The clansmen show up and Itchy realizes they have Big George and like runs over and Grady's like, I'll handle this. And he tells the men that he is the law here. So they need to let that man go. And it's like, they're saying like really awful things. Mm-hmm. Other men from Whistle Stop come over. They overhear what's going on. So everyone's attention is like really on them. And the Klansmen finally let George go. And Grady is like, I don't recognize any of you. Or You're not from Whistle Stop. Yeah. Initially, I thought that he was lying when he said that as like a way to like protect his friends because Iggy has like insinuated that um, Grady is a member. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, oh, he's just like, oh, I don't recognize any of you. You're clearly not from around here to like cover for his friends because I don't know if we talked about it, but like Grady is a police officer in the town. However, this next scene I got in my version. (laughs) Mo did not get in her version. No. But – Iggy is tending to George's wounds and, you know, he thanks her, but she tells him to forget it because he would have done the same for her. So George goes to rest and Iggy asks Grady who those men were. And he says that they came from Georgia to scare her because one of them was in town the other day and saw that they were serving food to black people and they didn't like it. But Grady says that he told them that they don't need anyone from Georgia coming here and telling them what to do and that they won't be back. And before he leaves, he tells Iggy that he doesn't wear a size 14 shoe and he doesn't care much for parades, bedsheets, or otherwise. So he's letting her know that he is not, in fact, a member, which I think is an important scene. Yeah, I don't know why that was cut. Like, was yeah. it for time or something? I really don't get it. Yeah. Seems seems like an important moment. Yeah. I thought that in the end, Grady and um, Iggy would end up together. Like, oh. like, towards the end of the movie. Like, right, right. When they're older or something. But, mm-hmm. alas. Once upon a time, a trio of bards, the narrator's three were called upon to unite the realms with an episode-by-episode deep-dive commentary on the fairy tale laden soap opera, Once Upon a Time. Tune in for weekly retrospect sprinkled with judgmental fondness and hysterical disappointment as the narrators three laugh, throw shade, and have the occasional emotional breakdown. If you find tales of costuming, character takedowns, and plot devices that come with a price utterly charming, the Narrators 3 invite you to join them for Once Upon a Rewatch, available on all major platforms where podcasts can be found. Cut back to Ruth. She is in her home. 
she's holding her baby and she comes in and she tells her that um, Frank saw the baby. Then Iggy realizes that's why the clan was there and says if he's dumb enough to come back again, Grady and the Alabama boys will take care of him. And if they don't, I'll think of something. But Ruth makes her promise not to do anything crazy. Maybe this scene is why they cut that last one. So that instead of the reasoning being because they're serving black people to be it's because of Ruth. Okay, that makes because sense. Because you see how those two things contradict each other? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just Did now, you get this scene though? I did. I did okay, get this scene. Okay. Yeah. But that might be why. I guess it's insinuated too that Grady is like, you know, he'll Grady will take care of them if they come back. Right. Yeah. So Ninny tells us that nobody saw Frank again until the night of the town follies. We see Iggy and Grady, they're performing. Meanwhile, Ruth was away at one of the Reverend's many revivals, which I actually don't even know what that is. What's a revival? I will look this up, but I believe it's when, I think it's like Southern Baptist and you go and have like, there's like tents and you like hear preachers for multiple days. Yeah, it sounds like it's sort of like a, a festival, not really a festival, but just like a, maybe like more like a retreat or something where they have like speakers and stuff and everybody just like reconnects with the church. I always pictured th- this though, like, cause it's like the South. So they have like tents outside with mm. like, like the classic, like white tents you'd see at like a wedding or something. And they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like preaching and it's like really mm. passionate. Yes. So Ruth is at one of those. While this is happening, Frank shows up at Ruth's house where it's just Sipsy watching Buddy. So he actually breaks in. uh, He breaks into the cafe where they're hanging out and he hits Sipsy with his gun. She falls to the ground and passes out and he takes Buddy in his little bassinet. Meanwhile, George goes to get Iggy and he's like, you need to come quick, like, something is happening back outside the cafe frank is about to put buddy in his car when Smokey comes up and he's like excuse me i don't think you're supposed to be taking miss ruth's baby he's so polite about it too. i know i'm like this is a kidnapper let's be a little firm with this man yeah <laughs> but frank then hits Smokey. he falls to the ground Frank is about to pick up Buddy when he is hit in the head with a cast iron pan Mm. falling to the ground. Let me tell you, cast iron pan, Mm -hmm. it's heavy. Absolutely. I cannot even like lift a cast iron pan with one hand. Like I couldn't lift it over my head with one hand. Can I ask at this point in the film, who did you think did it? Um, Itchy. I figured it was Itchy. Or Big George. Yeah. Because they were the two that they set up where it's like, come quick, like we have to go. Yeah, I did not remember who it was from when I watched really? it. I knew I knew it wasn't Iggy. I only remember that because I remember that she was covering for someone, but I couldn't remember who. So mm-hmm. I assumed that it was George. Gotcha. Yeah. Grady and a sheriff from Georgia come into the cafe and the sheriff shows Ruth and Iggy a picture and asks if they know this man. And Ruth is like, that's my husband, but I haven't seen him in months. 
it's like super tense like yeah he does not believe them (laughs) yeah itchy is like oh yeah that sucker like just super vague Mm -hmm. and ruth kind of tries to distract and be be like oh would you like some pie and the sheriff is like no but the barbecue smells very good so grady is like yep it's the best barbecue in alabama sheriff curtis sits down he eats his barbecue looks out the window, and he notices George tending to the barbecue. Itchy comes over to give him some more barbecue. She's like, you're eating up all my barbecue. This is like your fourth plate. And he asks her to sit down. And he says that she's not fooling anyone. And he knows that she threatened to kill Frank. Okay. From, I guess, some neighbor or like someone from town had heard her. And he's like... Listen, this is a murder. No one gets away with murder. Not even a bunch of Alabama smart Alex. Yeah. And the sheriff tells Itchy that if he finds one hair from Frank's head, he is going to arrest her faster than she can slap a tick because he is the law and she can't beat the law. Just rancid vibes off of this man. Absolutely rancid. Yeah. So he then goes to interrogate big george he shows him frank's photo and frank says no and he's like i've heard that you would do anything for miss Iggy. would you even kill for her have you and he's like no and the sheriff is like okay well maybe one day you'll tell the truth and i just want to remind you that we hang black people in georgia as fast as they do in alabama my god so stakes are – couldn't be higher. Stakes are extremely, extremely high. So Iggy also watches Big George get interrogated from outside of his house. And when she finally gets back to the cafe, she sees Ruth sitting there by herself. And Ruth says that she's been thinking and she thinks that maybe she should move. She doesn't want Iggy to feel like she has to look after her and Buddy – and, you know, maybe if she wasn't here, Iggy could settle down. But Iggy says that she's as settled as she ever hopes to be. And she, like, tucks Ruth's hair behind her ear. It's, like, a very sweet, tender moment. Again, it's, like, all subtext because that's all that they really give us in this movie. But, yeah, clearly, like, she's very committed to Ruth. Yeah. Ruth then tells Iggy about a dream she had that Buddy was gone Um, But then she woke up and raced over to the crib. He was still there. And she thanked God for letting her still have Buddy. And it's the same reaction she would have after Frank would beat her when she would thank the Lord for giving her the strength to make it through. And she says that she thanked the Lord for each day her mother lived. While Iggy was out tonight, she thought that if Frank ever tries to take Buddy, she's not going to pray. She'll break his neck. And Iggy says that she doesn't have to worry about Frank anymore. And Ruth is like, well, of course I am. He's, you know, Buddy is his own flesh and blood. He's not going to stop. And Iggy's like, I'm only going to say this once. Mm -hmm. You do not have to worry about Frank anymore. So heavy. Ruth asks if she killed him. And Iggy says no. And Iggy asks if she believes her. And Ruth says that she doesn't know what to believe. And Iggy says, well, believe me when I say that I don't want you to move out. Aw. 
Yeah. Breaking my heart. I thought this was going to turn into a fight of of um Ruth, even though Frank is really horrible. I thought that Ruth was mm-hmm. gonna be like, How could you do this? Like, how right. could you kill someone? But yeah. She just is like, you know what? This is a horrible person and he was going to hurt my baby. So mm-hmm. that is that. Yeah. I mean, I think once it comes to like her child, she's not going to mm-hmm. allow what happened to her to happen to her child. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. We cut back to Evelyn who returns to the Winn-Dixie. She notices someone pulling out of their parking spot. She waits patiently to take their spot. But some jackass sneaks in and just steals her spot. So she drives up to the woman and she's like, hey, I was waiting for this parking spot. And they're like, tough. Face it, lady. We're younger and faster. And they like go into the Winn-Dixie. Evelyn grips the steering wheel. She smiles and she says, Tawanda. And puts the pedal to the freaking metal and smashes into that little red convertible over and over. And the girls actually run out and they're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And she's like, face it, girls. I'm older and I have more insurance and drives off. (laughs) You're done. (laughs) You are done. Shots fired. Oh, my gosh. It's such a good moment. It's so good. It's, like, really cool to see this kind of whole next section of Evelyn's character, how she's like, Oh, I really enjoy it. I don't give a single fuck about anything. I am changing my life. I'm doing what I want. It is just amazing to see her, like, really take control Mm -hmm. and try out new stuff, even if it's, like, not necessarily, like, what she ends up sticking with, but just to, like – Totally rediscover her identity as a person and what she wants and like actually do things for herself after only doing things for others her whole life. Yeah, absolutely. And to just kind of see the life start to flow back into her Mm -hmm. as she takes control. Yeah. And I mean, it's like really a testament. I think this film is a testament to how important having strong influences and role models are in your life. Um, Not necessarily just for women, but in, like, the case of this film, like, having strong, like, female role models to inspire you. Because, like, all of these changes that Evelyn is making are definitely inspired by, like, hearing about the courage and the bravery of, like, these two women in the 30s. And the support of others, whether it's, like, active support or just, like, support of having knowledge of these people to help you, like – Go on your own path in your own journey. Mm -hmm. So Evelyn races to the nursing home. She tells Ninny the whole story about her smashing this car (laughs) and how she feels terrific. She is like the adrenaline is coursing through her veins. She's like, I feel like I could beat all the punks and all the wife beaters to a pulp. And she kind of like goes off on this whole monologue about like all the changes that she would make if she like ran the world. I'd roll up my mom in the rug and throw her out the window and throw a huge party. Everyone's invited. I go to the library and I take all the books down off the shelf and lay all the books out on the table and argue with people about ideas. I feel like I'm wearing chains and I, chains and I could snap them at any time. I feel strong. I feel ready. 
this is the most fucking niche reference that we're making right now in the world. It is to a play by John Patrick Shanley. Um, oh my God, what's it called? Um, it's not Danny in the Deep Blue No, sea. it's the other one. <laughs> Fuck, what is this play called? Um, hold on, let me look. You're going to say it and I'm going to be like, oh yeah. Savage in Limbo. Yes, I was like, it begins with an S, Savage in Limbo. Yes, yeah. this is the, a reference to a monologue in Savage in Limbo. <laughs> um, he wrote Moonstruck. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until oh. kind of recently. Yeah. So I was like, what? Yeah. But yeah, so that is what we were just quoting. But it is very much a similar vibe where Evelyn is like, I'm going to ban all models who are less than 100 pounds and I'm going to do this. And like only women over 40 are attractive now. And like just kind of going off on and all these wrinkles are in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ninny is quite concerned. She's like, how many of those pills did you take? How many are you taking? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, before she walks off, Evelyn goes, Tawanda. Writer of wrongs, queen beyond compare. So she truly is living her best life. She's what the kids would say, feeling herself. As the youth would say, <laughs> yes. So Evelyn comes back home. She is doing a little workout, some trampoline mm-hmm. time. When Ed comes in and he's like, I'm just trying to work it out in my mind's eye. How can you accidentally hit someone? Six times. And she's like, don't make such a big deal out of it. And he's like, what is this shot of the dinner plate with like two cherry tomatoes, like a, a filet, a, not a filet, like a, um, a steamed piece of fish, I would assume. And like two pieces of sushi. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, it's a low cholesterol meal. It isn't happy. Yeah. He's like, are you trying to kill me? And she's like, if I was going to kill you, I'd use my hands. Great line. Love that line. (laughs) So Evelyn goes back to visit Ninny again. And she's like, I got to know, did Iggy kill Frank? And Ninny's like, okay, let me get back to the story. Also, she has fully like two Mary Kay suitcases. She has her bag of celery crudite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's kind of going off. She's a new woman. So Ninny goes back to the story and we are cutting five years later. So five years after the murder slash disappearance of Frank Bennett. Smokey, who you may remember, has been missing the entire time as well. Until one day, he showed up back in town, meeting Buddy Threadgood Jr. on the train tracks. Mm. So at the same time, the sheriff from Georgia is making one of his many trips back to Whistle Stop. He is still chasing this Frank cold case, and he drops in every once in a while looking for new leads. So Ruth is teaching some kids outside the cafe when Smokey walks in. Iggy is thrilled to see him. She's like, oh, my God, let me fix you some lunch. Like, you know everyone in here except for, you know, the sheriff over there. He's been looking for the same guy for five years. This old booger chasing a cold case. Fucking crazy. Am I right? But (laughs) he loves our barbecue. (laughs) But he loves our barbecue. (laughs) Then, big tone shift. We hear some children screaming as the train passes by. Everyone rushes over. Buddy has been 
injured. We see Big George like carrying him to the car as they race to the hospital. Oh, no. And when I tell you my jaw dropped at the next scene because I clearly did not remember this movie. Same, same, (laughs) same. Oh, my goodness. The next thing we see is a tombstone that says, here lies Buddy Threadgood Jr., And my notes say, Buddy Jr. died in all caps. The camera pans down the tombstone. Buddy Threadgood Jr.'s arm. He lost an arm. (laughs) Buddy's alive. He's well. Unbelievable. Everybody can exhale. But I was like, there's no way. They can't kill him too. (laughs) On the train track. What's up with Buddy's going to the train tracks? Stop playing on the train tracks. This is a PSA to everybody. Don't Get go on train your tracks. Kids off the train tracks. Oh That's my all god! I'm Have you seen the movie Where the Heart Is? No. Oh my oh, wait, god! Wait, 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 is that with um, uh, Natalie Portman? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have seen it. So there's also a train track incident in that movie where somebody gets stuck in the tracks. He doesn't die, but he does lose both of his legs. Oh. So. This is a PSA. Don't play on train tracks. Stay away from them. Get away, yeah. Because it can it can only end badly. Absolutely. So they have this little funeral. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, they're like, okay, free ice cream in uh, the cafe. So all the kids run over to the cafe. And Ruth says her dad always said there was a separate God for children. And Innie says the Lord was watching over Buddy that day, but then it rained for a month and it flooded parts of Whistle Stop. And that's how Grady's deputy stumbled upon Frank's car in the water. Oh, no. It's not looking good. No. So Iggy and Ruth are playing poker one afternoon when Grady comes in asking to speak to Iggy in private. So he pulls her outside and he shows her Frank's car, which has been pulled out of the water. And let us remind you, it's been sitting in there for five years. So it is like super rusted and like fucked up. Basically, he says that she and Big George are officially under arrest for the murder And they're supposed to be in his custody until tomorrow when he takes them to Georgia in the morning. Unless some people have been known to pack up and sneak out of town in the middle of the night. Who knows? Could you be one of those people? (laughs) Something only time can tell us. But Iggy then asks, well, what about George? And Grady says that they would be satisfied if they had George because... Somebody has to, you know, be punished for the murder, and nobody wants to hang a woman. And Iggy says, no deal. There you go. Bum, bum. This is the trial. So they go to trial. Mm-hmm. First, we have Iggy on the witness stand, and the prosecutor is like, You bribed Ruth with your liquor and your money to get Ruth to leave her husband, Frank. And she had a momentary lapse of judgment when she came to her senses and Frank came to get her. Iggy and George murdered him. And they asked where she was. Iggy was like, I was at the town Follies. 
and then at my mother's house with Big George. But her mother passed away this past year. So, you know, the key witness in that case is not able to testify. And like, then the lawyer goes into some racist comment yeah. and itchy insults him. And she's like, you disgusting, like son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. And the judge is like, okay, order, order. Like, I'm going to have to kick you out for contempt of court if you don't stop this. Then it's Ruth's turn to take the stand. She says that she didn't want to raise her child with Frank. And the lawyer is like, I can't understand why you left. And Ruth kind of like pauses to answer this question. Yeah, you can really like see her Mm -hmm. like wanting to say something. And she's like, like she finally like decides how she wants to phrase it. And she's like, itchy is the best friend I've ever had. And I love her. Oh, my God. And the judge is like, okay, like you're good. You're done. Itchy's face when she's like, and I love her. They have this like really close-up shot of her face and it is like i feel like my chest tightening just thinking about it it's like you can see that that's like the first time she's ever said something like that yeah probably in front of anyone else i was wondering like do they know that he beat her or is she purposefully not saying that i don't know actually Mm -hmm. i think it might be the thing of like they wouldn't believe her yeah i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure but the final witness is the Reverend Scoggin. I just wrote the Reverend. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> he takes the stand. And when asked about Iggy and Big George's whereabouts, he confirms that Iggy and Big George weren't, in fact, at her mother's house because that night was the revival. And Itchy and Big George were both there, and George was in charge of the barbecue, as he has been for a decade. And those revivals last three days and three nights, because the lawyer's like, oh, well, he could have done it in the... The following days, yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's like, are you a church-going man? He's like, oh, yeah, of course, (laughs) of course. Well, if you went to our church, you'd know that the revival lasts three days and three nights. Do you know what just popped into my head upon you saying that? What? So, on average, Chutney, how many perms would you say you've had in your life? (laughs) It is that same exact vibe. So true. Uh, So the judge calls the lawyer up and he's like, listen, you don't have a body. You're the key guy. It's talking. He's a reverend. Everyone's going to believe him. You got nothing. (laughs) What have you got? It looks like Frank drunk drove himself into the river and forensics don't exist. So we're done here. Case dismissed. Boom, boom. Boom, Yeah. So the reverend goes up to Iggy. Oh, we forgot the most important part. Oh, yeah. The reverend goes up to Iggy and says, I'll see you in church. Turns out the Bible that he swore on, he was like, I brought my own. Mm-hmm. It was a copy of Moby Dick. <laughs> we love a loophole. Like, oh, a Bible, you say? I'm a man of God. I've brought my own. Call me Ishmael. And he 
collaborated with Ruth Mm. uh, to pull this off. And he lied to save them. But the condition is that Iggy has to go to church. And Iggy's like, Ruth, I'll never forgive you as long as I live. (laughs) We then go back to our dear sweet Evelyn. What is she doing? She's putting a hole through the wall in the in her bedroom. She is tearing that shit down. Ed comes home, asks what she's doing, and she's like, I needed more light in the bedroom. And he's like, if you needed more light, why don't you just go take a walk or something? And she's like, you know what? Those classes that I was taking to help our marriage, they're not going to do us any good if all you do when you come home is just sit down and watch baseball. Boom. Football. Boom. Tennis. Boom. I'm like struggling to think of other sports, but she lists a ton of them. And she, <laughs> with each one, she puts another hole through the wall. Boom. So yeah, she's not taking any more of his shit. Yes. Evelyn returns to the nursing home and she actually runs into Miss Otis' granddaughter. And she's like, oh, how's Miss Otis doing? And she tells her that she's doing pretty well. It just took some time to get settled. And Evelyn's like, ah, that's such a relief to hear because Ninny has really been looking forward to going back home. Sue, Miss Otis' granddaughter, is like, oh, um, about that. Like, her house was condemned. It was falling apart. And Evelyn is like, excuse me? Like, does she know? And Sue's like, well, we didn't want to upset her. What? This is illegal. This is literally somebody's property. Like, how is she I not informed? I just don't understand. Who has power of attorney? I would like, love to know. I would on? love to know. Yeah. I'm like, this is the maybe the flimsiest plot mm-hmm. point in the movie. Yeah. So <laughs> we're rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Evelyn walks to Nini's room and she sees her sleeping. It's kind of like a jarring moment, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because it looks like she could be, you know, in the deepest sleep. (laughs) The eternal (laughs) sleep. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, But Nini does wake up and sees Evelyn standing there. And she's like, oh, do you like my room? Uh, Since I couldn't see my own garden, I made a paper one. And there's all these beautiful pictures of flowers on the walls. There's pictures of... Iggy and Ruth and um, it's just really beautiful like it definitely mm-hmm. reflects Ninny you know externally yeah and Evelyn gives her her birthday present oh. it is her birthday what's her gift fried green tomatoes she even put little candles in them it's really cute and she yeah. puts a little birthday crown on Ninny and they're eating the tomatoes together and Nanny gets this faraway look in her eye. There's something that gets said that triggers this. I'm trying to let me find what it was. Yes, Nanny says that she never expected to live this long, but the mm-hmm. Lord takes us when he wants us. Yeah. And then she kind of gets silent and gets this faraway look. And Evelyn is like, Is everything okay? And I thought at this point she was going to have a stroke. I was like, Oh my God. I like the way that they said it and then she was like looking super like off camera like I don't know off guard and then he's like oh I was just thinking about Ruth everything was okay until the summer Ruth lost her appetite Mm -hmm. what a segue 
Yeah. So as it turns out, Ruth's doctor said that the cancer had progressed so much by the time that they found it that she only had a few weeks left to live. So they moved Ruth into the Threadgood house and Sipsy took care of her while Iggy prayed for a miracle. So Iggy goes to Ruth's bedside and Ruth makes Iggy promise to make sure that Buddy graduates And she also doesn't want him going to her funeral. She doesn't want him to, like, go through that. And Iggy is like, what are you talking about? You're going to be fine in a couple of days. You'll be back on your feet. It's all going to be okay. Oh, my gosh. It's so sad. So Buddy then comes into the room. He's crying, and he's really upset. So Iggy decides to take him for a walk. As they're walking, basically – Buddy reveals that he's upset because he got punched in the nose since he can't play baseball like everybody else. And Iggy's like, have I ever told you the story about these oysters? And he's like, yes. And he finishes the story. Like, yeah, the sand and the oyster and the pearl. <laughs> got, it. I got it. Next. <laughs> and she's like, okay, well, what about the one about like the three-legged dog? He's like, yeah, heard it. Next. <laughs> Yeah, never felt sorry for herself. Mm -hmm. She then is like, so you know what's happening to your mother? And he's like, yeah, she's sick. And Iggy tells him that now is the time for courage. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm sure you know by now that there are some angels masquerading around this earth like people. And your mom is the bravest one. Oh, my gosh. It's so heartbreaking. Uh. So Buddy then races into Ruth's room to tell her about how Iggy taught him how to hit a baseball. I think that Iggy hits him in the back with a ball. Yeah. But I didn't even cry. And I think Ruth's like, oh, wow, she did that to me, too. Like a callback to when they played baseball uh, on her birthday many years ago. So Buddy then says he's sorry that Ruth is sad. Um And she asks him for a big kiss and she'll never be sad again. So he gives her a kiss and she tells him not to be sad either. And he promises before she sends him off to go wash up. After he leaves to wash up, um, Ruth starts coughing and Sipsy um, gets like a shot of morphine ready. And Ruth kind of like shakes her head and then she offers her an ice cube and then she like takes it away and is like, I'm going to leave you and Ruth alone for a minute. Ruth asks Iggy to be good to herself and even settle down if she can find someone who can beat her at poker. And Iggy is like, oh my God, there are so many things I want to say to you. But Ruth says, no, tell me a story. I always loved your stories. And I'm like, I'm like literally tearing up right now in just this retelling of it. It's so deeply intense and emotional. Mm -hmm. And Ruth asks for the story about the lake. So Iggy goes over to the window and she starts telling the story about uh, the lake that they used to play in and the ducks come and the temperature drops and the ducks fly 
away in the rivers in Georgia now. During this time, Ruth passes away and Sipsy comes back in. She stops the the clock, the big like... Mm -hmm. The grandfather clock. Yeah, the grandfather clock. And she tells Iggy to let go of Ruth and says she was a lady and a lady always knows when to leave. It's absolutely heartbreaking and it's also like this super wide shot that's all one take there's no there's no cutaways until like towards the end and just the way that it's framed with like Iggy with her back to the camera she's looking out the window yeah and you can hear her like crying as she's telling the story and we just see like Ruth in the left bottom corner mm-hmm. just like pass away through the course of Iggy trying to get this story out. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And when Iggy goes back over and she sees what happened and like she starts to break down, I was like losing it when I was watching this earlier. I'm like literally crying right now just as I'm talking about it. The way that it's shot is just like so like breathtakingly sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I thought it was really sad and just like – so emotionally intense without being overdone like i thought it was like mm-hmm. so well directed yeah it d- it didn't feel like it didn't feel like they exploited the death yeah it it just felt like a very like quiet intimate moment like it wasn't made to be this like super dramatic thing like obviously like dying very suddenly of cancer is a dramatic thing but like the the moment itself just because it was just the two of them. Yeah, the, the most peaceful way that she could have died was with her mm-hmm. listening to one of her, like, tales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there's no uh, scoring. There's no music in the background, so it's, like, a very silent moment, mm-hmm. um, which I think makes it hit even more because then all you can hear is, like, the wavering in Iggy's voice. As she's, like, telling the story. Yeah. So the next thing we see is Ruth's funeral. And Nini says that it's funny how strong Ruth affected everyone, even Smokey Lonesome. When he died, he only had one possession on him, and it was a picture of Ruth. Mm -hmm. Because he fell in love with her from the first time he saw her, as they all did. And while... Ruth's funeral is happening. We see that Iggy did keep her promise and her and Buddy are not there. They're playing catch. Yeah. Cut back to present day. Evelyn looks at the picture of Ruth and says that she's scared of death. And Innie's like, oh, I'm not afraid one bit and I'm right at death's door. But Evelyn says that's because she's brave. And Innie says that Ruth and Iggy were not her. And if she were Evelyn, she'd be more afraid of driving in rush hour traffic. Um, I think it's also important to note when Evelyn came in for Ruth's, oh my gosh, when Evelyn came in for Nini's birthday, she has like some makeup on. She has her hair done. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a lighter shade. She has like a cute outfit on. Yeah. She's really like, I don't know, kind of just like being like, 
doing her Mary Kay thing. Like there's like the Mary mm-hmm. Kay sticker on her car. So she's kind of like in that still in self work on mode. Mm-hmm. She's like feeling better about herself. She started working. Yeah. Yeah. So we can see this like physical difference. Yeah. She's also styled much more modern than yeah. um, at the beginning. She has like a very kind of like out of fashion, more so like 50s housewife hairdo that looks like it's done in like hot rollers. Whereas um, through this transformation, she wears her hair like straight. She has some bangs and just mm-hmm. overall she is made to be more of a, a modern woman, which is very much in line with her like you know, having her own career and like doing all this stuff. Yeah. So it's that contrast to that just kind of like um, sort of trope of a 50s housewife that she kind of is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we then have a very brief scene where Ninny and Evelyn go to a church. It is like a black congregation. There's a choir that are singing and it's just a very like uh, joyous like joyful moment also not in the one i saw i had a feeling that this was not going to be in the one that you saw because there's no dialogue or anything it's just like a very quick scene it does feel like a little bit out of place yeah but i think that it was probably initially in there just to more so have like a, a celebration of life kind of feeling after like this very tragic death that we've just seen to like remember to celebrate Mm-hmm. moments of joy ed comes home to dinner on the table and brings evelyn a bouquet of lilies mm. he says that he's sorry for the past few months and he should have been better and more attentive and he also notices she's putting the wall back up and he's like what's up you just knocked that down and she's like i changed my mind and mentions how ed has always talked about wanting two women in the house she tells him that she wants something more than she's ever wanted anything. She wants Ninny to move in with them. Ed is like, mm. this isn't what I meant. Yeah. This is not it. This is not aligned with my fantasy. Um, yeah. Ed is like, we can't just move her in here. She isn't a stray cat. Like, she's not even family. And Evelyn's like, well, she's family to me. And, you know, now that I'm making my own money, I'll pay for everything. But Ed puts his foot down. He says, it's never going to happen. So just forget about it. And Evelyn repeats Ruth's words and says, do not say never to me. And she then has this little monologue. And she says, someone helped put a mirror up in front of my face. And I didn't like what I saw one bit. And you know what I did? I changed. And that someone was Mrs. Threadgood. She needs my love and care now, and I'm going to give it to her. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go to the gym. And if you won't listen to reason, there's always Tawanda. Uh, I do love this little, like, this monologue and the other one where she's like, I feel like I could, like, put little bombs in all the Playboy magazines and stuff. Those are... Two really, like, fun monologues. I feel like if you were Mm -hmm. that age, you could use for, like, a film or TV audition. Yeah. So Evelyn goes back to Rose Hill's nursing home and goes to Nini's room, but there is a nurse tearing down all of her pictures. Oh, my gosh. Like, why? 
Evelyn's just super confused. She's like, what's going on? The nurse tells Evelyn that the woman who lived in here died early this morning. Evelyn is beside herself. The nurse continues to tear down all the roses. Evelyn is like, just stop. Just wait a a goddamn day. Like, she may be just another patient to you, but she was my friend and I loved her. And the nurse is like, I'm just doing my job. I'm just following orders. Mm -hmm. The other nurse who Evelyn had talked to before comes in and she's like, I didn't think you'd take it this hard, but she died peacefully in her sleep. Like, I figured you'd be happy for Ninny. And we find out Mm -hmm. it was Miss Otis who passed away. Ninny just left in a cab. (gasps) And Evelyn is like, Miss Otis is dead. Otis is dead. And she's like jumping up and down. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just thought that Ninny had died. Yeah. And then she's like, oh my gosh, I have to go to Whistle Stop because this bitch doesn't have a house. Yeah. It feels like a an oversight that they just, you know, Massive. let her leave and like check out. Like, wouldn't you need to be checked like, out by peace. somebody or – Something couldn't somebody give her a heads up? Hey, her house doesn't exist anymore. Let's not just let this woman find out the hard way. Stumble into the bushes. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah. So Evelyn drives to Whistle Stop and another heartbreaking shot. We just see Ninny in the distance, sitting in front of the empty lot where her house was, sitting on her suitcase. Mm-hmm. So Evelyn walks up and Ninny is so confused. She's like, somebody stole my house. Like, what happened? And Evelyn has to tell her that it was condemned. And Ninny's like, well, someone should have told me. I'm old, not a child. Which was another very poignant line. Yeah, the fuck? Yeah. Like, literally, you're you're lucid. Mm-hmm. Someone should have told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is like, this happens... When, you know, people get older, when they become elders, they are often treated like children. And I can only imagine how frustrating that must feel. So she says that her and her husband, Cleo, lived in this house for 40 years. And now all that she has left of her 83 years of living is what's in this box in her Mm -hmm. hands. Her old home is gone. Mrs. Otis is gone. And this is the first time she hasn't had a soul to look after, which is, you know, very much a direct parallel to the crisis that Evelyn was undergoing herself. Yeah, absolutely. In like losing that caretaker role. So Evelyn's like, well, you can take care of me and Ed. You can move in with us. But Ninny says that they'll be just fine on their own. But Evelyn says that Ninny would be a gift to them. She's the reason that Evelyn gets up every morning She's the reason why Mary Kay is having such a good year. And she's the reason that Evelyn doesn't look like a blob from a horror movie. <laughs> she says that they have her room all ready. And when Ninny asks what Ed thinks, Evelyn says that Ed will learn to love it. <laughs> so Ninny then asks Evelyn if she ever told her that Mrs. Otis was actually Sipsy's baby sister. Ninny says that Mrs. Otis was with her that day, like Ninny and Mrs. Otis were with Sipsy when she died. Yeah. And that night, she told them a story that she had never told anyone about what really happened. 
the night that Frank disappeared. Oh my God. So we cut back to Frank getting out of his car with his shotgun. Big George goes to get Itchy from the Folly Show. Frank busts into the cafe. He hits Sipsy, takes the baby. As he heads to the car with Buddy in hand, Smokey Lonesome comes up to stop him. Frank punches him to the ground. Smokey gets up again, and Frank punches him again. Mm. And then Sipsy comes up <gasps> and hits Frank on the head with a skillet. Oh my God. Then she takes Buddy out of the bassinet and back to the cafe unharmed. Mm, it was Sipsy. Sipsy. She must be strong. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So we go inside. Sipsy is tending to her wounds from when Frank hit her with his gun. And Iggy and George are there with her and Smokey. Iggy says that it was self-defense, but Sipsy says that a white jury wouldn't care. It doesn't matter. Smokey offers to testify, but George says, no offense, but I don't know if a jury would believe you over my mother even. Mm -hmm. So they notice that the sun is starting to rise. Iggy says to George that it's hog boiling time. And he's like, but Iggy, it's not cold enough. And she's like, it's, it's hog, hog boiling, boiling time. <laughs> Which is also interesting because pig is another like word people use to call cops. Mm-hmm. I mean, is Frank a cop? He's a sheriff. Frank was a sheriff? Wait. Sorry, I am thinking of Curtis, the sheriff who, like, keeps coming back. They do, yeah, so they feed a pig. Yeah. Yeah, so. Okay, okay. So George is manning the BBQ when Grady comes over. And he's like, when is this barbecue going to be ready? It smells so damn good. Mm -hmm. And Itchy goes over, and George tells her that Smokey skipped town and asks that he tell Ruth goodbye for him. So in the kitchen, Sipsy fries up the tomatoes, and one of the Black Town's people comes over asking for barbecue, but she says not today. I wonder why. Yep. Sipsy goes to collect the sheriff's empty plate, and he's like, damn, this is the best barbecue I've ever had. She's like, the secret's in the sauce. <laughs> I don't like it one bit. Uh, yeah, so in case you didn't put it together, they did in fact feed Frank to the people of Whistlestop. Mostly to the sheriff because he had four plates. I wonder if they let Grady eat it or if they were like. Yeah, I wonder. I, I don't know about all that. Yeah. So <laughs> Evelyn is shocked. Um, yep. They kind of giggle about it. And then he's like, yep. that's why Itchy had to go on trial. They never would have believed Sipsy or Big George. And to this day, she still isn't sure if Ruth believed Itchy was innocent. Um, the truth is a funny thing sometimes. Ninny tells Evelyn that she feels better because all of these people will live as long as she remembers them. And Evelyn has reminded her what's important. Best friends. Ninny points out Ruth's grave. It's right next to Buddy. 
And sitting on the tombstone is a jar of honey and a card that says, I'll always love you, the bee charmer. <sighs> Evelyn is shocked that Iggy is still alive. And Ninny's like, oh, yeah, she's still out and about charming bees and selling honey. Sometimes she thinks she can catch a glimpse of her. Maybe they'll see her today. See, okay, this moment, <laughs> <laughs> this moment leads us to believe that Ninny has been edgy all along. Right? Just the insinuation. Like, yeah. But then I was reading that in the beginning, she does say, like, oh, I used to have a huge crush on Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be really, like, inappropriate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just. Because this is not what it is in the book. Like, the book doesn't insin- – from what I've read on the Wikipedia page of the book, so correct me if I'm wrong if you've read it. But from what I understand, the book doesn't insinuate this weird thing of like, oh, my God, she's been edgy all along. It's yeah. just in the movie where they throw in this little thing of like, sometimes I I even think I catch a glimpse of her. Where it's like, oh, like I catch a glimpse of my old self because obviously she's not seeing like – Iggy running around the nursing home halls. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that is very confusing. Yeah. And, like, they could have spun it as, like, oh, she has been Iggy all along if they took out the weird reference to having a crush on Buddy. And if they took out – I mean, they could even technically keep the, like, oh, I was married to her brother or whatever just as, like, a family connection – type of thing because like it would make I could like buy into it that she was edgy because there's that that line very early on where they talk about after Buddy died that it felt like Iggy died along with him so that when like she lost Ruth like she might have gone and like like the old Iggy died with Ruth as well yeah and like she then went and like chose a new name for herself or like has chosen a new identity for herself Mm -hmm. so like i could i could buy that but there's just those little inconsistencies where this moment feels odd to me i'm like what's up yeah so our last moments of the film ninny says that after ruth died and the railroad stopped running the cafe shut down and everyone just scattered to the winds it was never more than just a little knockabout place. But now that I look back on it, when that cafe closed, the heart of the town just stopped beating. It's funny how a little place like this brought so many people together. The end. Uh, I just want some fried green tomatoes. I've never had them before, but I feel like I need to learn how to make them or find them somewhere. Yeah, I've never I've never had them. I'm, I'm simply mm-hmm. saying like... Wow, sounds like a beautiful summer <laughs> treat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what did you think as a as a first time viewer? What are your overall thoughts? Yeah, I really liked this movie. I thought mm-hmm. it was very enjoyable. I think that having like a very intense, like deep connection between Ruth and Itchy was like so palpable. It was really clear. You know, I don't want there to be constraints on films where it's like, oh, you can't be honest about a relationship or like be like, mm-hmm. oh, it has to it, be like explicit. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I did think it was a different exploration mm-hmm. um, with with the same intensity. Right. So I appreciated that a lot. 
And um, for me, I much preferred this like um, relationship than the movie Portrait of a Girl on Fire, which recently came out and you can like see on Hulu. And I think that was like pretty lauded. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was very popular. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, can't, could not tell you the time period, but they're also wearing like older stuff. Like, there's no cameras. Yeah. It's like, it's a period piece. Yeah. It's a period piece, exactly. And um, I just thought the relationship that was forged in Fried Green Tomatoes was way more interesting. Like, I would love to read the book mm-hmm. and understand more about the characters because I think that yeah. the author also just made some really like awesome characters. Oh, definitely. It's a very rich story. I feel like this type of movie that is like such uh it's so plot driven and it is very much like it's storytelling, right? Because we literally have yeah. somebody in the movie telling this story to us. I feel like we don't really see movies like this anymore. Um, and I really like the form of like going back and forth to the past and the present, and how the like these two stories don't necessarily mirror each other, but there are a lot that like we can learn by seeing them in tandem. And I think that the performances were just so incredibly strong. Oh, so strong. And you yeah. can also see the way that they uh, parallels it, which I think is so hard to do, is that you could see Avalon evolve as mm-hmm. the story evolved. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just the story evolving and Evelyn was like stagnant. Yes. Overall, while I do think at some points like the plot is a little bit predictable, what does save it for me is just how um, genuine and heartfelt it is. And yeah, getting to see the connection between Iggy and Ruth I think by like not having it be very explicit, we got to like explore it in a different way where we got to see like the real depth of the connection rather than like potentially getting caught up in just like lust or like physical attraction because what they have is such like a full relationship that has like blossomed over so many years. So I really appreciated getting to see this relationship explored in that way and I don't know if we talked about it in the intro, but this movie did win um, a GLAAD award when it came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Especially because at the time there really was, Mm -hmm. there were not a lot of films that explored same-sex relationships. And um, I think it is really cool that we are doing this, like after just having done a brand new queer movie to kind of get to see the evolution of like, where queer romance is now Mm -hmm. so i I think that like this movie definitely was like very very important in its time like when it came out and is still important now to like look back on as well yeah definitely and i also like we're talking about how in the silk chiffon music video they used but i'm a cheerleader Mm -hmm. as like a reference and i would love to see like a music video that's like mm. fried green tomatoes themed. Yeah. Or even like it's hard because with this movie, it was so good, like remaking it. I don't know if it's like mm. a good idea. Yeah. But I guess like I kind of would want to see it mm-hmm. fully remade. Yeah. Or like even some more kind of like because when we, when we think period piece, we think like Jane Austen era. Mm. But like mm-hmm. this is a period piece. It's set in the 30s. 
So like potentially like more love stories yeah. like set in the past to which now is about a hundred years ago. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and we're done today. Um, so on that note, uh, what would you like to rate this film? I'm gonna give it a nine. Mmm. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> You're like, not for me, love. <laughs> well, I was I was gonna give it an eight. So we flip-flopped from where we were last week, where I was a nine and you were an eight. Nice. Nice. Yeah. We've had some fucking bangers this month. Oh, yeah. I think we picked, like, yeah. some really good movies. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, people are going to like the next one. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's uh, yet another one that I've never seen before. There's only one movie that we've done this month that I've seen before. So mm-hmm. it's always fun to get to watch some new stuff and come at it with, like, fresh eyes. So yes. I'm very excited for next week. But thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Absolutely. And let us know if you are going to New York City Pride or Toronto Pride. Yeah. And we can meet up, take a selfie together. Yeah, that would be so fun. Yes. But that's all I have to say. Perfect. And uh, if you want to see what we're doing next week... Where can you do that? Oh my God, on our Instagram. It's movies that raised us. You can also follow us on Twitter at MTRU underscore pod. Yes. Or if you want to view our TikTok, you can go to at movies that raised us pod. If you'd like to send us a longer email, we've gotten, we've gotten some emails lately. Yeah. Um, Let's be pen pals. It's movies that raised us at gmail.com. Yes. And we will see you next week for our last Pride Month flick. Wow. I'm Mo. And I'm Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.